So anyway, I would like to own the uh, the video. Thank you again for that idea of writing down a list of things to avoid. <laughs> okay, when we're, uh, and when I'm saying the list of things to avoid, I'm not talking about all the time, but basically when we're sitting for practice and we're actually going to be controlling the mind and then thoughts of number one, the spouse, number two, the boss. Number three, maybe the job itself and the work to do. And then maybe the house needs repairs or maybe the kids are terrible, whatever it is. But we can put those items on the list of things to avoid specifically, things to stop thinking about. And then after we get such a list done, we don't need to write them down, but it'll begin to come to mind of, oh, I don't have to think about my family at all, because every time that I do, I'm liable to start thinking about what I'm going to do to them. <laughs> and, and the reality is, is in the West, all of my family is dead now. And because everybody's dead, I don't have to think about them at all. And that my life with uh, uh, my Thai family is quite pleasant, and so I don't give a thought about it. In fact, about the only uh, thing that on my to-do list is you guys, my friends. <laughs> and there's generally not a lot of unwholesome thoughts with that. But this is something that, that I really am pleased that you came up with that idea of having a list of things to absolutely avoid. So that we be conscious of, oh, thoughts of the boss? No, thank you. <laughs> Because we rarely have good thoughts about the boss. In fact, if we would start practicing having good thoughts about the boss, that would be a form of metta anyway. Yes, it would. And if we're friends with the boss, our job is more secure. If we're just an employee, then we could get fired easily. But if we're a friend, bosses don't generally fire their friends. And that's the secret. That's that's applied psychology. Make good friends with the boss. Makes your job a whole lot easier. And some bosses are downright hard to be friends with. It's like they don't expect it anyway. They'd, they'd rather be the boss than the friend. So this requires a bit of practice, a bit of wholesome thoughts. So the thoughts of the boss come up, have good wholesome thoughts about how how good a friend he's going to be when I start letting him be, <laughs> and how I, through through friendship we can mutually work together for the benefit of the organization, rather than uh, me being afraid of him because of power issues. But that's actually one of the things about friendship is it takes all the power out of it. Things become easy, not a struggle. So anyway, thank you. That's a really good idea is to have that list of stuff to uh, intentionally want to change our thinking about.
I think the top of the list would always be whatever girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or whatever like that, because surprise enough, even though we love them very much, we care about them so much. And so we want to fix them and make them better. Yep. That's that's generally the task of a wife anyway, is to fix her broken husband. And it's hard for her to get out of that mentality. Yeah, I think there was a there was a good uh, recording about love on the uh, on the Dharma Friends channel about right about like uh, how how love is such a vague word that can be defined in a lot of ways, and how most of the ways are not very wholesome at all. That's right. Most love is not wholesome. There's the 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 funny one is the caddy word. The caddy way. Don't you just love her dress? <laughs> <laughs> now that's more than likely going to be done between two women from the, from the side, uh, you know, gossiping about one of their supposedly friends. And so we say it uh, uh, in in that way. Uh, but then there is, uh, uh, what's your favorite color? What foods do you love? Okay, what's your favorite food? These are the kinds of things that are associated with with the word love. And a much better word is friendship. Is to really be friends with the spouse as opposed to lover. I think that De Beers had a whole lot to do with that, selling diamonds. You know, <laughs> diamonds are really kind of worthless. They're not worth anything until they're talked up and advertised. Yep, yep. It's just a rock. Yeah, it's just, just a rock. It's a pretty rock, but it's just a rock. How many pretty rocks are there? But it's the diamond, you know, that's the girl's best friend. Because that means that the guy really loves her to give her the diamond, right? And in that regard, you could say that love is not love. What it is instead is desire. I want her. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that involved when we talk about ordinary romantic love. I didn't hear that last time. I heard a call. Oh, yeah, so... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, generally when people talk about love, there's probably like some degree of genuine friendship there, but then there's the desire, which is probably the most, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of the thing we, we name love after, right? Because uh, if there's no desire, then it's, uh, it's a friendship. And it's sort and of interesting. People, uh, people will often say that my spouse is my best friend. Well, that's the whole point of it. <laughs> if your spouse is not your best friend, you've got the wrong spouse or the wrong attitude. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the word love has got a lot of different problems. Because we really don't know what the word means because it's used for so many different things. And so I can use the word love and you can hear it completely differently. But basically, 
there's another example of that in 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 the um, the song looking for love in all the wrong places looking for love you know that song i think i've heard of it okay yeah. right I'll, I'll sing it just a little bit looking for love in all the wrong places looking for love so that's that's the song now the question is what does the word love mean there right they it kind of uh in this regard it means sort of like uh looking for love means looking for someone to love me so that i feel loved mm -hmm. okay. and we think that if we feel loved we feel satisfied precisely so so actually what we're looking for then is satisfaction and when we are satisfied then we're not out looking for love do you love me do you love me so in that regard now love actually means the deficiency in the person who is in in well there's another one on in love uh -huh. Okay, with, uh, when we're in love with something, uh, that brings on a lot of heartache because we never do get satisfied because we can't have what we really love. And we often substitute that for a person of, you know, a, a person, mostly of the opposite sex, but it doesn't matter. We're looking for love for someone else to fulfill me, to fill me up. Well, that's what Anapanasati is really all about, is to fix, is to make that correction. Not in the sense that Anapanasati is going to fill us up, but rather it's going to be uh, an education in the joys of emptiness. So that we don't need to fill it up. Which which brings on the idea, you know, the Christians have a a, a, a story about uh, everyone has a God-shaped hole, and if you want to feel complete, all you have to do is plug God into that hole that you've got. <clears throat> um, now the thing of it is, is that we 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 feel like missing something, like things are not complete yet, and so we want that. Uh, incompleteness to go away by filling it up, by getting what we want. This is basically what Dukkha is all about, is wanting things that we don't have. Why do we want things at all? It's because we feel a sense of not being whole or not being complete. But Buddhism is not going to fill that hole. Buddhism is going to teach you to dance around it and eventually jump in. <laughs> <laughs> and let the emptiness be there. It's okay that we're empty. Life has no meaning. It has no purpose other than to be in that state of being alive. Being alive is the goal. That's the only goal there is. The only meaning we have is this next breath. Staying alive. And someday that's not going to happen anymore. Are we ready for that time too?
So when we recognize it, it doesn't, when I die, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so what? I'm dead. That means I don't have to worry about anything. Now I could really chill out when I'm dead. <laughs> and yeah, there'll be some tears and some people crying, but that's because they don't know that I'm, I'm just nothing at all. Nothing worth clinging to. In fact, let them dance around my grave. <laughs> and eventually drop in. <laughs> But we all we take things so seriously. We think that things are important. Like the boss or the spouse or the car. All those things are important to us, which means that they're guaranteed to give us grief. And so having that list of things that cause us grief so that we can keep them out of the mind. Before we lose them and after we lose them. But whatever we cling to, we're going to lose it. One way or the other, either we die first or it does. But every laptop is dusted for the junk pile. None of them mask. In fact, what makes old antique things so valuable is because they have gone against the grain of reality. That cars just don't last that long. So when you find a car 100 years old, it's special for people because it proves that, well, maybe I can make it to 100 too. (laughs) And so we kind of fall in love with old things thinking that they're going to fulfill me, that because it's old, I'm old. But most things don't become antiques. Most things fall apart, rot away. That's what makes antiques so special, is because maybe there was a thousand of them in the beginning and there's only one left. That makes it special. Guess what? It will die too. Just not yet. And so whatever we cling to is going to cause suffering. So while we're practicing Anapanasati, let's get each and every one of those things out of the mind. And the easy way to talk about it, I talk about it in the easy way, but you've given us, you know, a real tool here. The easy way to talk about it is is that if it's not here right now, let's throw that out of the mind. Let's get rid of the past because right now the boss is either in the past or in the future, but he's not on the couch with you right now. And so there's no reason to think about the boss at all. He's not here. And so we can do that with everything that we've got on this list. And then pretty soon, all the stuff that was on that list don't show up, but some new things do. (laughs) So we'll put them on the next list, version two. (laughs) 
so this is a really way to practice. And by the way, I wanted to congratulate you for you, what you've been gaining so far. Beginning to put this stuff uh, in perspective, I guess, is the way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's nice. <laughs> well, every shampoo bottle has the entire teachings of the Dhamma written on the back of the bottle under the instruction part. Every shampoo bottle in any store always has that one phrase, rinse and repeat. And that's what we're doing, just rinse and repeat, 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 rinsing, rinsing, rinsing. And so that's what you're doing. And we've got now, uh, let us say, a list of tangles that could be undone while we're rinsing things out. And so there's really not much to the Dhamma. It's actually easy peasy just needs to be done over and over again. And that's where people fall down. They think, oh, well, I've gotten bliss now. Why does it stay here? The answer is that because you got yourself into a state of bliss because you were thinking blissful thoughts. Now that you stop thinking blissful thoughts, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> and wanting the bliss back is the number one cause of not being able to get it again. So maybe even bliss goes on that list <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Version three. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a tendency to like uh, cling to uh, good states we've attained and like focus on like how great it was to have this instead of focusing on, well, I can do it again. Do this. Yeah, I can do this. So, what should we talk about now? <laughs> well, uh, one of the things I uh, had in mind maybe is uh, is in terms of uh, anchoring the practice. So, uh, when we talk about this, uh, you know, this uh, short sits, they really help build the sati. But then, you know, there's the time in between, mm-hmm. and you know, I've uh, I've always sort of you know tried to keep uh mindful in, uh, in in different ways but i thought maybe this would be a good topic to go into a little bit more okay um basically i see people coming in and learning the practice and recognizing that they can throw the thoughts out let us say during that five minutes of the hour but then uh the thoughts of sati will come up during the rest the other part of the hour and when it does oh i'm supposed to be having happy thoughts why can't i have happy thoughts all the time right (laughs) and that uh this is very characteristic every beginner right through the intermediate stage will will have the thought of why did i come late for dinner when you came, your own time. <laughs> this is the time for it. Just because here you are. Instead of uh, worrying about why didn't I practice before, 
And this is very complex. Yes. This yeah. is what Goenka says is when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Because if we don't never mind, what are we going to do? We're going to fuss at ourselves for having not lost, you know, you were supposed to watch the breath and here you're not doing it. I caught you and you're a terrible kid. <laughs> we treat ourselves exactly the way that we were treated yes. when we were kids. And oftentimes we're not treated in a nurturing way when we're kids. Yeah. Very so, critically. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, so it can build this. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, it can build this pattern where whenever we, uh, you know, we get a hint of sati, we're like, well, why didn't I get it before? And then we scold ourselves and we go back to sleep. And then we're like, oh no, <laughs> why didn't we get it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's scold ourselves some more. Maybe this time it'll work. Mm -hmm. Maybe what we need to put on that list is self-criticism and put some specifics down. Like number three on the list is self-criticism. And then we have sub A, B, C, and D. How do I criticize myself? Well, when the mind wanders away from the breath, I criticize myself. When unwholesome thoughts come up, I criticize myself. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that like sometimes when I uh, when I have a lapse of mindfulness, and then after that, I'm like, like this can't happen. Like I'm way too far into the practice to be doing stupid stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I I get stuck on that instead of being like, you know, never mind. Let's just focus on what's going on now. So I am getting better at that, though. Yes. So, so that's so what okay we do then is that to happen. recognize mm -hmm. getting better at it. And congratulate ourselves that, hey, we're getting pretty good at this. If I could catch it that time and not feel bad because I was feeling bad <laughs> and start feeling good because I can see that I'm feeling bad, then that's real progress. Hey, you're making it, kid. You can do this. Another way of saying it then is to encourage ourselves. The brightening of the mind, the gladdening of the mind is like having your own cheerleader section. <laughs> So we can. All right. So this is then um, in response to your your question is never mind. Start again. It's that simple. It's that simple. If whatever thought that was, it says, oh, you're not making progress now or this is tough or any of that kind of stuff. That's when we've forgotten again and we've gotten critical again. And so we have to remember that, oh, just nurture. Everything's all right, no problem. And pretty soon we come to the point of realizing, you know, that's right. Things really are okay. I really have nothing to do. I can just sit here and enjoy life. <laughs> that's a major, major realization, but it needs to happen often. That things really are okay. That all this gladdening of the mind was, I didn't half believe it, but it was true all along. It was absolutely true. And now I'm learning to trust that it's true. 
that I actually do create my own reality, and now I'm going to create a reality that's very close to real reality. <laughs> and the real, real reality is that things are okay. Ta-ta-ta. Yeah. Real reality is a lot simpler than whatever we come up with in the mind. Mm -hmm. And what we come up with is considered now daydreams. Because they're just exactly the way that we have nighttime dreams. In the sense that the reality is, is there we are laying in bed asleep. But the constructed reality is the dream. And normally dreams are of two kinds. Either we're feeling like we're being chased, that something is after us, and we have to run away from it or defend ourselves. And the other uh, kind of dream is the dream of looking for something, randomly going around with the idea of something. One of them, by the way, is uh, uh, the example that I've had as a dream that was quite interesting, is that there was an old dilapidated kind of a hotel. In fact, almost all the dreams I've ever had have been in great big mansion-like buildings. And this one is kind of like a hotel or maybe a, um, a, a set of condos, but not the kind in the West. These are Asian condos, especially Indian condos that's got ladders going up and down and all over. I mean, the place was built to hodgepodge. There's a lot of places like that in Hong Kong. So that was the setting of this particular dream. And the whole place was full of motorcycle parts or half done motorcycles, a junkyard, a motorcycle junkyard in a great big building. And my dream, I went around with the idea I'm looking for a particular motorcycle. And so that's the setting of the dream. And I woke up in that dream and I said, this is very curious <laughs> to watch this dream of the, uh, of the mind wandering through this great big Asian building looking for uh, uh, motorcycle parts. And that's the kind of dream that has to do with looking for something, wanting something. Perhaps, as we talked about before, looking for love. And I'm looking for a motorcycle in a dream. That's looking for love in all the wrong places, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so those are the two kinds of dreams. The dream of looking for something and the other dream of be, is being chased. That oftentimes when people have a flying dream, the flying dream is also part of that escape. But it can be also of being in a dream of flying, looking for something. Well, guess what? Looking for something can be associated back with, with greed. I want. And the other one is being chased is that's the not liking or the being in danger. So these are the two ways that we feel and whole dreams will be based around one or the other of these two feelings. 
And so that's one of the things that you can look for when you get into a dream. You can just, you know, let the dream go knowing that you're in a dream and enjoying those kind of free associations that are wrapped around that thing. One of those two themes of what am I looking for or what's chasing me or where am I going while I'm being chased? But then if we can do that during the daytime dreams, if we can wake up to the daytime dreams and come back to the reality, this don't do it list that we're talking about, then we can begin to do that in our nighttime dreams too. If you can wake up to your daydreams and keep waking up to the daydreams, pretty soon you'll wake up to the night dreams. A lot of people don't know that they're dreaming when they are dreaming. But you can wake up to your dreams, and eventually, you don't have many dreams anymore. They subside. Why? Because you don't want anything, and you're not being chased by anything in reality. (laughs) And so we stop dreaming about those things. And so always, it's just back to that same simple practice. And so the entire teaching of the Buddha is wrapped up in just two words, rinse and repeat. (laughs) Rinse and repeat over and over and over again, which is the same teaching as Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda in this very moment. The next moment, again, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Then the next moment, Dukkha or Dukkha Naroda. Either you're in Dukkha and you're unsatisfied or you're satisfied. And so that makes actually then the practice very easy, so long as we don't criticize ourselves and want something along the way. That in fact, that's an important point, that criticism and then wanting to get what we're criticized over winds up being that greed and ill will are the same things. We're pushing or pulling. But we're either pushing or pulling. We're either pushing it away, I don't want it, or we're pulling something to get it. And so that's one of the ways of looking at it. Is this thought of pulling thought or is this thought of pushing thought? Or is this a thought of I don't care? Because those are the wholesome ones. I don't have to care about it. I don't have to push it. I don't have to pull it. And so that's what when we get into that state that I don't care, that's when not many dreams happen. And when a dream does, it's because you let some care, some woe come in. <laughs> There's another issue that has to be addressed. And that is for years and years and years when dream research was done, by hooking people up to equipment so that they could get brain waves and all of that kind of stuff to try to understand it. That equipment was too expensive for the person to take home. And the equipment itself is is bothersome. But the big deal is, is that how would you do, how would your night's sleep be if you were in a hospital-like bed full of equipment? What kind of dreams are you going to have there? This is an example of the researcher 
bastardizing his data. He wants to make the data easy to get, and by doing so, he destroys the data that he really wanted. He's gotten something else that was easy to get instead. And so there's still going to be a long time before the researchers are going to, to do good dream research because it's going to have to be done without bothering the person at all that you're trying to research with. This is actually known all the way down to bird watchers. That birds don't behave the way that they behave when the bird watcher is there. Their natural habitat is without a bird watcher. And so when the bird watcher comes to watch the birds, the birds are also going to be watching the bird watcher. This, and another one would be the uh, political polls. It's exactly the same way. People will answer the question differently because this is a poll. We have to think about how we would answer the question where, in fact, if we weren't asked the question, we'd already have our political beliefs set up. But now that somebody's asking us a question. And so that's why so many of the polls are skewed. It also has to do with um, the fact that they can't use cell phones. There's laws about cold calling people on the cell phones, but there's no uh, law about it on landlines. Mm. And so most of the polling is done on landlines. Well, guess what? Only older people have landlines and the kids exactly. have cell phones. And so they're not going to be part of the research. And so that's another way the data is skewed is which uh, 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 What's the selection criteria for uh, for the pool of of the polling? Well, in reality, we do that ourselves within our own mind. It's called confirmation bias. In other words, we look for that which we already believe is true. And the reality may be staring us in the face, but we ignore it because it contradicts what we already think is true. And that's how we get confirmation bias. And so when, like political parties, my political party is a good one and that other political party is not. And the reality is, is that both political parties are full of, of ordinary political people. What do you expect a political party to become? They're just going to be different features, but they're all going to commit the same crimes, the crimes of being a politician, wanting things and trying to control the data, et cetera. <laughs> and so since we understand that the, that the political parties are founded in the same thing and have basically the same goals of we want our way, then it's hard for anyone to see once they get associated with the political party to see the other party as the same. But the reality is there's not much difference between political parties. But our confirmation bias will say, oh, no, I want these things done. And this party says that these are the things they're going to do. Therefore, that's my party. But the confirmation bias was already in place. We chose the political party based upon confirmation bias. And so we found a party that would confirm our bias. And that's the party we joined. And then we don't ever see the other party because it's against our 
opinions of what things are right and what things are wrong. Mm. It's it's kind of the same with religion, isn't it? Like precisely rep anything representative. Yeah, like representatives of any religion will have a story of like how they will how they uh, um, they will have a reason for why they think that their religion is the right one because you know there's been some kind of miracles or whatever they believe in where mm -hmm. the reality is like uh, you know. With every religion, people think exactly the same thing. Exactly. And it's like, well, so, what's going on here? So the the religion then winds up being the story. The story and the villains and the heroes. That's what a religion is. It's a story that people confirm with their bias to be true. Without oftentimes without any evidence at all. And that is also stronger when we pick up a religion or buy the story when we're little kids. Because we're not wise, wise enough then to see our own confirmation bias. So that confirmation bias is built up kind of by the family. The kid takes on whatever confirmation biases that the family present to him and he takes them in without any wisdom or any uh, investigation. And then we'll hold these confirmation biases for the rest of our lives sometimes. And generally, these confirmation biases go in two different directions. One is, is that I'll get what I want and be damned with what happens otherwise. And then the other confirmation bias is, is that, oh no, you've got to follow the rules. The rules are everything. If you don't follow the rules, something bad's going to happen to you. And so the other one, which is called the wrong view, the ordinary wrong view, is, is that no, I can get what I want and I'll get away with it. So this, by the way, is coming from a sutta number 117. These confirmation biases are called one is wrong view. I can get away with it. I'll get what I want, and, uh, and I don't care if other people are hurt. And then the ordinary right view is, oh, no, you got to follow the rules. We've got comma machines, and we've got spooks and ghosts and all kinds of things that are going to come after you just to help us out. But just in case, we're also going to get cops, we're going to get an army, we're going to get a priest, we're going to get air, teachers and all kinds of things to make you follow the rules so that you don't get what you want. And then the Buddha has the third kind of uh, right view, but this is not a view, this is a viewing, and that is look at what's going on. Investigate. Clean house and then do that again. Don't come to any conclusions one way or the other because that conclusion only works for this particular moment. And pretty soon we just start receiving more and more data without coming to a conclusion. We just keep investigating, keep looking, keep looking, keep investigating. Without coming to the conclusions, and one of the conclusions we come to is follow the rules. The other conclusion we come to is, I can get away with it. I can bend those rules. And that's quite a tug of war, especially when people go
from one view to the next, back and forth. This is kind of like one of the um, uh, internal conflicts that we have. You have to do it. I don't have to do it. You have to do it. I don't have to do it. And that comes in ever how many different rules you have. We'll get into that conflict. <laughs> and so how do we get out of that conflict is to see that conflict as that conflict. And recognize I don't need to apply that rule right now. And I don't have to resist the rule because I'm not applying it anymore right now. I don't need any rules. I'm happy. I'm just sit here comfortable with that great big hole inside. That I don't have to fill. I don't have to go look for love. I don't have to get what I want because I don't want anything and get away with it. Uh -huh. And so this is a very simple practice, but it's got these kind of little features to it. It's good for us to understand. And so having internal conflicts would be another item that we would want to put on that don't do this list. Don't give yourself rules and then avoid those rules. An example of that would be a diet. You say, oh, I've got to go on a diet. I'm going to be on a diet. If that diet lasts is about as long as the distance to the refrigerator. And then when we get into the refrigerator, the diet, I mean, now we're on a seafood diet. Any food I see, I eat. <laughs> And then we feel bad because we broke the rule. I was going to go on a diet. And so we could just forget those rules and say, put it this way, instead of being on a diet, why don't I just eat healthy this meal and not worry about what happens in the future, that this meal is a good healthy meal. That's the reality of the situation is what I'm eating right now should be paid attention to is this wholesome and healthy food. And stop calling it a diet. With, re with the results of failure built in. Because if we're on a diet, we'll eat the wrong things to the level of it be dissatisfied because we don't get what we want. And we can do that for a little while and then lose some weight. And, oh, I feel really good because I've lost weight. Now that I'm successful at losing weight, I can treat myself to eating the stuff that made me fat in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why diets don't last long. But if we can have the perspective of let's look at what's going on right now, see, is this food wholesome? And this donut is probably not wholesome. This donut is probably dangerous. So I can do without this donut. I don't have to eat that donut. Well, we can think about that. I don't have to eat that donut. Can be done with any thought that we have or any actions that we deem as dangerous. Like having unwholesome thoughts about uh, embassy, en envy and jealousy of your boss. There's, there's in fact a story about that, that 
two people were competing for the same job, which was to get their boss's job because he was getting promoted. And there were two candidates that knew that they were candidates to get that job, and you were one of them. And the other guy got the job. So how are we going to deal with him getting the job? Are we going to be envious and resentful and try to prove to ourselves that we should have been the one who have gotten the job anyway? That's the normal way of doing it. The other way of doing it is to congratulate him and make a big deal of it. Wow, I'm really glad that you got the job because you're going to be a really good boss and I don't even want the job anyway. And so I congratulate you by taking you to dinner, maybe take the whole uh, work group to dinner in appreciation for and congratulations for this guy, your competitor, getting the job. And then start with that to make friends with him. Because if you're jealous of him getting that job, it's going to show up in the relationship between the two of you. He knows that you're going to be jealous because he would have been jealous. And that's his confirmation bias. So you have to prove him wrong by inviting him to a celebration dinner. <laughs> so that's the way of looking at this, this whole thing, because that, that situation there with the boss and the two guys getting the job, that can be applied to anything, that we can congratulate people rather than being jealous of them. Congratulating people for making success, that's noble. Being jealous of them is not, <laughs> not noble. And so this is why that investigation, and we keep looking, we keep looking. We don't come to a conclusion like I can do a diet or I can get away with it, or oh, you're supposed to follow the rules. And recognizing that there's no rules. There's actually only one rule to follow. Can Would that be simple enough? I mean, we could just dispense with all of the shoulds, woulds, coulds, ways, and everything, and just take on one rule. And you know what that rule is? The one we've been practicing all along anyway is called Duca, Duca Dorota. When you find yourself not satisfied, change your mind, change your attitude, take the right effort to become satisfied with it. Rinse and repeat. Pardon? Rinse and repeat. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so that story about the boss and jobs is very care. It's a it's a big heavy deal for many people, but it applies in all all cases. That I become jealous because I'm dissatisfied because I didn't get what I wanted and I don't like it. And we can see that in our mind and then say, wait a minute, if I stay dissatisfied, I'm going to continue to be dissatisfied and then the whole show is going to fall apart, my job and everything. But if I can change my mind and be satisfied with it, then things are going to work out just fine. Just be satisfied with the other guy got the job. <laughs> That's all there is to it. And now that workplace is going to be easy for us. It's really that simple. <laughs>
change our dissatisfactions to satisfaction, change our dukkha into sukha. But we have to practice that because we've been practicing dukkha for so long. We were taught it by our culture. With the almost the understanding that nothing ever gets done unless you're dissatisfied and you want it done. Your dissatisfaction becomes your energy. Yeah, and then you think, well, if only I get all of this done, then I can finally relax. <laughs> when in reality, we're just training ourselves to do more dukkha, and it never mm -hmm. stops. And it never stops until we do say, enough already. <laughs> enough <laughs> already. Enough. Maybe be satisfied with enough. I didn't get it all done, but I got enough done. That'll do. You'll never get it all done. Because I can always dream up more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, did that answer your question originally? You had that original question about what was my go. question? <laughs> I don't even know. About where do we go from here? With basically oh, the question. Mm, maybe it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and so the answer to that is there's no place to go. Be satisfied with there's <laughs> no place to go. You don't have to go someplace. Just be satisfied. Joyously satisfied. Successfully satisfied. That's successful part. That's the key ingredient. There's in fact, as I said, one point above that satisfaction or that's uh, the point above the satisfaction is success. And when we have success over and over and over again, we we begin to get the feeling of being wealthy, really being on top of the world. Now, that's some people want to do that with money and there's no end to it. Money, all the money in the world is never enough. You could be the most the, they're actually going around. I'm not thinking I don't think it's actually true, but they're calling Elon Musk the richest, wealthiest guy in the world, right? Have you heard yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't I mean, feel like yeah. he's already made it. He doesn't feel like he's wealthy and successful. No, he's no. working really hard. <laughs> no, in fact, he's a very good example to show people that uh, you can be the richest person and that doesn't do much for you. <laughs> that doesn't do much for you. <laughs> that should be a good education for a whole lot of people. Look at Elon Musk. He's the richest guy in the world. Look how unhappy and miserable he is. <laughs> because he wants too much. He wants to go to Mars already. I mean, he's got some pretty big plans to fail at. <laughs> And I'm not saying that he won't ultimately be successful, but immediately he's not successful. And we need to feel successful immediately, not planning years in advance and send up thousands of rockets and spend trillions of dollars and then be successful. We can be successful right now. 
over and over and over again, and then we feel wealthy rather than just being wealthy in the sense of having a lot of money. That in fact, there is a, 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 phrase, a, a, a word called philanthropy. Philanthropy is, is that once the guy has worked hard and gotten all of this money and he's come close to the end of his life and he's still dissatisfied, what does he do with his money? He starts giving it away and now he's got a lot of pressure. Now that he realizes his wealth can be shared and he becomes generous, he's a lot better off. Bill Gates is a whole lot better off now than he was when he was running Microsoft because he's out there doing some good stuff. because he's gotten that sense of wealth. But it almost always either doesn't come. Most people never get this, or a few people. In fact, the ones who do get it wind up becoming famous for it. The Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, uh, Carnegie Hall, uh, various universities, Vanderbilt, etc. Those are the guys, are so few of them, that we make note of them, where in fact, they're teaching us the wrong lesson. The real lesson is, is that getting that money doesn't make you happy. Giving it away makes you happy. Because it's really easy to give away money. And so they're successful at that every time. Getting the money, they're not always successful. And so they have to work really hard. And Elon Musk is a good example of he ain't got enough. He's still working hard. And he's making a whole lot of enemies in the process of that. If he hadn't bought Twitter, if he just stayed at SpaceX and launched his rockets and let Tesla do its thing, he would have been a whole lot happier. <laughs> and so this is the idea then is by generating by doing something really small and becoming successful at it over and over and over again, that builds the confidence that we're good at that. And then a little more of it, and we feel really successful. And that becomes our new habit of success. And as we continue that habit, our destiny becomes being wealthy. But we have to practice those hopes and thoughts. That's it. And so your little to-do list of things to avoid is the right way to go with that. So, what do you think? Hmm. Not thinking anything right now, really. <laughs> good. Besides, but this moment is pretty good. This moment is pretty good. <laughs> well, that's what we've been doing for the past near an hour, is just been having wholesome thoughts. <laughs> One after another. And it feels really good, doesn't it? So, is there any more? Any more questions? Did we get it done? We're satisfied now. I guess we did. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is all right.
today is the uh, UK Sangha as well, right? Yes. In like it's three hours? Or, is it in three yeah. hours? Uh, if it were 15 minutes from now, it would be three hours away. Three hours. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, all right. Join us there. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've, I've really, mm -hmm. I really, uh, yeah, thought that I should uh, join those as well because uh, I'm really realizing the importance of like, uh, you know, environment that like if I'm around uh, regular people all day, then sort of their attitudes and ways of looking. around ordinary people, but if you're around nobles, you'll get some happy phones. Yes, exactly. So I've been looking to do more of that. Yeah, good. All right. Well, I'll, I'll count on seeing you there in, in three and a half hours or three and three hours, and 15 minutes. That's great. So let's go ahead and finish this call. And we'll uh, uh, see you a little bit later. If you if you couldn't make the call, then I'd tell you about something. But since you're going to be on the call, you'll hear what I have to say then. So we'll see you. Thanks a lot for yeah. calling. I really enjoyed it, and I really do appreciate you giving me that idea. That's a good idea to, to spread around. In fact, it's what we did with this video. <laughs> so, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.